Hey listeners, on May 13th, we invite you to join us and Reed Hoffman for a new virtual strategy session presented in alliance with Capital One Business. You'll hear insights from fellow entrepreneurs about how to be at the forefront of leading change with AI. So go to mastersofscale.com AI strategy right now to register for free. Again, that's mastersofscale.com AI strategy. Looking forward to seeing you there. We were preparing to go public. We had a plan and I felt great about the plan. And all of a sudden, it felt like I was a captain of the ship and a torpedo hit the side of the ship. The world changed irreversibly. It just felt like everything was breaking at once. And so we had this really, really difficult choice. Never thought I would have to make a choice like this before. My principles were do more than people expect. Be remembered for how we conduct ourselves. Be nimble. Pivot to where we think the world is going. It feels like you're in a house and it's on fire. And you've got to put out the fire while you're having to rebuild the house. Never in human history have all 7 billion people been united in a common predicament, a common cause. In good times, you kind of wonder what people are like. Crisis has a way of exposing who people truly are. I've seen a kindness and generosity. I've been incredibly inspired by what everyone's done. And, and so it's been pretty amazing to witness. When we started Airbnb, it was, it was about connecting with people. And that's what we're meant to do. And if it took a crisis for us to get back to our roots, then a new, better Airbnb will emerge. On the other side of this, there is going to be a new day. And the, the clouds do go away and the storm will end. Hi, listeners. This is Bob Safian, editor-at-large for Masters of Scale and for 11 years, the editor-in-chief at Fast Company. We're continuing our special coverage, and today I'm talking to Brian Chesky, co-founder and CEO of Airbnb. With the coronavirus pandemic and social distancing, Airbnb has come under intense pressure. As Brian explains, the company was preparing for an IPO just as the crisis hit. Airbnb recently passed $100 billion in fees earned by its hosts, providing more than 750 million guest stays across the globe. But suddenly, that all became secondary. Today, Brian talks through how he's grappling with the crisis, trying to balance the needs of all of Airbnb's stakeholders with new financial pressures and dramatic uncertainty. His clear-eyed view of what he calls complete madness is coupled with a strain of unvarying optimism. The road traveled so far has been action-packed, lots of shifts and moves made in just a few weeks' time. He's also mindful, though, that this is just the beginning, that there's plenty more to consider as we look ahead. It's instructive and inspiring. Let's listen. Hi, listeners. It's Erica Flynn, VP of Alliances and Audience Development at Wait What, the company behind Masters of Scale. My day-to-day consists of nonstop communication, not only with my immediate team, but with our current partner relationships and with incoming leads from possible future partners, which is why I rely on the ease of Grammarly to keep my communication clear and efficient. 
One confusing email can turn into several confused replies, which can turn into an unexpected meeting which no one wants, needs, or has time for. Having Grammarly on hand as my trusted AI writing partner not only streamlines my extensive to-do list, it minimizes miscommunication by quickly and efficiently synthesizing information and carefully curating tailor-made responses to specific groups. In fact, companies that use Grammarly to communicate can save 19 days per year per employee. Grammarly eases the writing process. It's a writing partner from the blank page to the last word typed before hitting send. Join me and over 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly to work faster, hit their goals, and keep their data secure. Visit Grammarly.com to learn more. That's Grammarly.com. I'm Bob Safian, and I'm here with Brian Chesky, the co-founder and CEO of Airbnb. Uh, In this special series at Masters of Scale, we're interviewing founders and operators who have agreed to share their experiences grappling with the effect of the coronavirus crisis in hopes of helping others find their way through. And no industry has faced a more tumultuous, abrupt change than travel and hospitality. Brian's had to make a lot of tough decisions as social distancing has hit both sides of Airbnb's two-sided market, guests and hosts. And while bookings continue, activity and revenue is dramatically lower. Personally, Brian is foregoing his own salary and has agreed to donate millions of his own money to a host relief fund, as have his co-founders Joe Gebbia and Nate Blacharsik. At the same time, he's just raised a cool billion dollars in additional capital for the company. Brian has appeared in previous episodes of Masters of Scale and is coming to us today remotely from California as I ask my questions from my home in New York. Brian, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Bob. It's good to be on. So I'd like to start by going back a bit. As it happened on March 4th, I was in San Francisco and I visited the uh, Airbnb headquarters to see one of your colleagues. And it was mostly normal. You know, there was maybe a little bit more hand sanitizer out and uh, fewer handshakes. But otherwise, it was pretty much business as usual. And then within days, like everything changed, right? I mean, I know business had already begun to soften. But at what point did you realize, like, wow, this is like nothing we've ever seen before? Was that a sudden realization, a rolling realization? How did that come to you? Around the time that you would have been in the office, March 3rd, March 4th, we were preparing to go public. I was working on our S1 document, and I was also working on a, a, a launch. We were preparing for a really big launch on June 4th. We had a plan, and I felt great about the plan. And all of a sudden, it felt like I was a captain of the ship, and a torpedo hit the side of the ship. And that happened literally the week after you came. You see, we got early indications in China because we've got a really big business in China, but it's so hard to extrapolate what's going to happen in China to 220 countries and regions. And this is mostly just in one part of China. And all of a sudden, we found ourselves in crisis. And I've been through crisis before. We started Airbnb in late 2008, right in the middle of the recession, but I've never ever experienced anything like this. You see, usually you have a crisis because something is wrong. And in this crisis, all of a sudden, in a matter of a week or two, it felt like everything was wrong. Everything broke at once, and there was this feeling of panic. I just remembered I had to breathe. When things are really bad, it's really hard to make business decisions because you cannot possibly predict how things are going to play out. You ask yourself, how do I want to be remembered? How do I want to be remembered in this crisis? 
And frankly, I got to tell you, it's extremely hard to run a travel company in the middle of a pandemic. We have been preparing for crisis. And I wanted to make sure that if the next September 11th happened, we would be prepared. Because many travel company CEOs had told me about how bad it was in September 11th. And each week it went from, you know, a 9-11 type thing where travel was down 25% for a month to all of a sudden it felt like a great recession to all of a sudden it felt like something much worse than anything we'd ever seen. The escalating risks and changes, is that why you went out to raise another billion dollars this past week? Yeah, I mean, originally we didn't know how long this crisis was going to be. And I first thought it would be a few months. And all of a sudden I thought, in the middle of a crisis, the best thing you can do is be super pessimistic and be wrong than be optimistic and be wrong. And so I imagine, what if this goes on for a couple years? You know, I, I think that many people had predicted that this was going to put us into recession. And now it looks like this may put us into a depression where you could have double digit unemployment for more than a year. And so I wanted to make sure that if we're like a ship going out to sea, we have enough rations for a really long storm, we could weather it. And one of the things that started happening is a couple weeks into this, into March, we started getting a lot of outreach from investors. People reaching out to us wanted to support us. And we had investors come to us. One of those was Silver Lake. Silver Lake um, is a private equity firm. They came to us with uh, Sixth Street, which is a debt office. You know, they were really, really bullish about our future. And I've been very, very optimistic about the outlook. You know, and I, I want to like kind of find that balance of it's going to be really bad for a long time. But on the other side of this, there is going to be a new day and the, the clouds do go away and the storm will end. So you've talked about Airbnb as a 21st century company, differentiated from 20th century companies by a commitment to broader constituency than just investors, right? To guests and hosts and communities and employees. And this situation has put that philosophy to the test in entirely new ways. I'd like to go through with you how you're approaching each of these different stakeholders. I know first thing, you took care of employees by shutting down the office, that safety was the first order of business, right? And then yep. for guests, you adjusted the cancellation policy so that they could not be beholden to commitments they'd made before. Is that right? The first thing to happen is the moment this outbreak started turning into a pandemic, we started having um, millions of guests inquire about cancellations. And so for many people, this pandemic was disruptive. But for a travel company that's a two-sided marketplace, it threw some things into disarray. I'll give you an example. We had more than a billion dollars worth of reservations that guests wanted to cancel. And the problem was that the way our model works is guests prepay us, we hold the money for the host, and then once the guest checks in to their Airbnb or book their experience, we pay out the host. And suddenly we're sitting on, you know, more than a billion dollars of money. That is the guest's money that we're intending to pay out the host. And all of a sudden the guests are calling us or emailing us saying they can't travel. They can't even leave their homes. They're being ordered to stay inside. And they're telling us that they feel like they want a refund. The cancellation policy that the host has won't give them a refund, but if they don't get a refund, therefore some of them will feel compelled to travel because they can't get a refund and we don't want them to put themselves in a moral hazard. 
And so we had this really, really difficult choice. Never thought I would have to make a choice like this before. And we sided with health and safety. And we said that we're going to issue an extenuating circumstance policy where any guests during a pandemic that wants a refund will get a full refund. We did that. That was very important. But then the next problem that happened is our host had a major income shortfall. You know, 50% of our hosts depend on Airbnb to pay their rent or their mortgage. And then suddenly they weren't having any income coming in. And so we had to make a decision. What are we going to do? And what we decided to do is take $250 million of our money and send it to host to pay them a portion of their cancellation policy. And this was really, really hard. And there was no financial model that justified doing this. It was just something that seemed right. And I said, it's going to work itself out. We're going to do as much as we can for the host at this moment. The next thing that happened is our employees rose up. And they said that they wanted to donate their travel credit. We give every employee travel coupons you know, to use on Airbnb. Employees donated over $1 million of travel coupons to our host. Those are the kind of things that make you really proud. Not when people just do what you ask them to do, but people do something you wouldn't have thought to ask. And Joe and A and I were really inspired. And so what we did is we said, well, let's double down on that. And so we put another $9 million dollars. And with this $10 million from employees and the co-founders, we created a relief fund for our best host, our super host. And then recently, we've increased that super host relief fund to $17 million. Then we thought to ourselves, well, maybe Airbnb can help them, but maybe you know we can also get some government relief for them. So in the United States, Congress was drafting the CARES Act, a $2 trillion economic relief program. And we noticed that hotels were included in the relief program, restaurants included the relief program, but Airbnb hosts were not. We mobilized 30,000 hosts in our host community, and they sent more than 100,000 emails and phone calls to members of Congress. I was on the phone with members of Congress and senators trying to get our host small business loans and unemployment relief. Because again, these are mostly regular people we eventually got them written into the CARES Act. With our employees, you're right, we shut the office down. And I decided to do a weekly Q&A from my desk, from its office where I'm sitting here. And I told employees, I'm gonna tell you just honestly how bad it is every week. I'm gonna answer every single question you have. I know I don't have every answer. Every Thursday I'm here four o'clock and we're gonna get through it one week at a time. Once we did that, then we had communities to take care of. You know, we're in 100,000 communities. We started getting emails from nurses, doctors, um, first responders, firefighters that needed housing. Either they were working far away from home or they wanted to be quarantined and not in the same house as their family if they're exposed to something. And so we worked with our host and we created something called Frontline Stays, where we committed to providing 100,000 places to stay for people working on the front lines. And within two and a half weeks, that grew from zero to 140,000 places to stay. And so I, inspired by that, we started putting our own money behind it to provide discounted and free housing. I even myself put in $2 million um, to the city of New York to provide um, housing for frontline workers in New York, because I'm from New York, my family's in New York, and I have a deep, deep care and connection for what happened to everyone there. So those were the stakeholders, but of course that leaves one more stakeholder, our shareholders. 
And I knew that we had to be decisive. We had to preserve cash. And so we immediately started reducing all of our variable cost. We cut back our marketing budget, $800 million. All of our executives went to half pay. The founders took no salary. We started renegotiating with vendors, froze hiring. And then finally, we raised money, a billion dollars from Silver Lake. What I'm so proud of is I've seen the best of this company. People are closer together than I've ever seen them, and people are rising to occasion. And you know, in a crisis, you really learn a lot about people. I've seen a kindness and generosity that I think if I told you what I thought it would be, you would have said I was naive. But yet I've been incredibly inspired by what everyone's done. And, and so it's been pretty amazing to witness. As you describe all the things that you've done in just three weeks, I mean, it is, uh, it is a lot. It sounds very cohesive right now. And I guess for some of our listeners who are struggling with trying to figure out what to do next, it's not like you knew this sort of immediately out of your head that like <laughs> no. these were all the pieces, right? I mean, I, I listened in on one of the webcasts you did for hosts where you sort of did this mea culpa about like, oh, we should have done some of this sooner. How hard is it to sort of know how to build the plan, know what the next plan should be? whether you even have a plan. I mean, do you feel like, okay, we've done this for three weeks now, we're going to stop for a little while? We know what no, it is. No, it never stops. And um, you're totally right. It wasn't like it was all smooth. Like it was like frantic because um, we had a plan and all of a sudden the entire plan was not relevant anymore. The world changed. When we refunded all of those guest cancellations, not all of them, 70% of our hosts have flexible cancellations, but a percentage of our hosts were really upset and they were upset with me. And I was really disheartened by it. And again, it just felt like everything was breaking at once. We did not have a plan. We had a plan that was outdated. We had to conceive of a plan. And you just focus one foot in front of the other. You write down, who are all my stakeholders? What are their needs? How do I prioritize them? What are my principles? My principles were be decisive care for my stakeholders, do more than people expect, be remembered for how we conduct ourselves, be nimble, pivot to where we think the world is going. And it only seems cohesive in hindsight. It is complete madness when you're going through it. It feels like you're in a house and it's on fire and you've got to put out the fire while you're having to rebuild the house. It is unlike anything I can experience described. I think it goes back to just this will. One of the most important things for me was to be optimistic. You know, I had to carry this balance of being honest about how bad it was, and it was really bad, with this spirit of optimism. Because as a leader, what most people look to me is to look to me to understand if things were going to be okay. And if I was completely freaked out, they would be completely freaked out. The emotions you have are contagious. And if I was optimistic and said, we're going to get through this and said, you know what, we're going to be better because of this. And every crisis is an opportunity to make you stronger. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Everything bad that ever happened to me, I learned from. Well, that's what this is going to be. I remember when you guys first were coming out in the early days of Airbnb and you were so scrappy. Like yes. that's the word, you know, you would like, you would try and do anything. And of course, when I go to Airbnb's headquarters now, I mean, it does not feel like a scrappy place. It's a it's a very well-appointed and comfortable place. And I'm curious how in this transition, like, how do you reinforce that scrappiness, which I know you have the well of because you've been there before, but not everyone who's worked at Airbnb went through what you and Joe and Nate went through. 
we've been scrappy. And even though we've raised a lot of money, we actually have been free cash flow since 2016. We were um, cash flow positive in 2016, cash flow positive in 2017, cash flow positive in 2018. And we were even cash flow positive last year, even though we did not make money at EBITDA basis, we were cash flow positive. So, you know, we've always had this spirit in our minds of like trying to do more at less. But there's something about this crisis that makes you so much more scrappy than you ever would have been before. When you raise billions of dollars and then you hire people from other flush companies, maybe they came from Google or maybe they came from an like a consumer packaged good company, but that's like 80 years old and they're used to like having huge budgets you kind of start to lose a little bit of that startup hustle. And then suddenly what used to take $10,000 to do takes $100,000 or a million dollars. And I used to say, we used to do that for almost nothing. And there's something um, about a crisis, about constraints. Constraints create creativity. If it hadn't been for constraints, probably wouldn't have done half the creative things I did. And I told our employees actually last meeting, that this was bringing us back in time. But this was like a new chapter, a founding of a new chapter, and that we were going to be scrappy again. Hey, listeners, it's Jodine Dorsey, the VP of Live Events at Wait What, the company behind Masters of Scale. I am constantly tasked with reaching out to teams across a wide spectrum of professions and the vastly different personalities that go with them. Grammarly helps me quickly shift tones to better communicate what I want to say and saves me valuable time in the process. Our upcoming Masters of Scale Summit event features top-tier speakers from CEOs to founders to political leaders. Grammarly's ability to produce on-brand writing helps me properly prepare for each and every thought leader I interact with on stage. It lets me generate the most exciting specialized content for our audience. In fact, teams that use Grammarly report 66% less time spent editing marketing content, which I've seen firsthand with my summit team. Join me and over 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly to work faster, hit their goals, and keep their data secure. Visit Grammarly.com to learn more. That's Grammarly.com. At this point in the interview, Brian and I reminisced about the founding story of Airbnb. But the best way to experience that story is to go back and listen to Brian's first episode on Masters of Scale, which was, in fact, the very first episode of Masters of Scale full stop. That was three years ago in April 2017. We'll now jump forward in the interview to Brian reflecting on this moment. We need to also get back to basics. You know, when you have a lot of money, you can do a lot of things. And the moment you have constraints, you suddenly have to ask yourself, there's this clarity of a crisis. What's truly important to me? And for us, what's truly important are our host. Joe and I were the first host on Airbnb. And I want us to get back to our basics, back to regular people being hosts, offering this feeling of connection and community all over the world. And I think that is the essence of what we have to do. So you, you've got this plan now that you came together with in a storm. Yep. You've got your team being scrappy. Like, What is the next stage thing you're looking towards, you're asking of your team is there a next innovation that you're thinking about or, or do you have to be more reactive in an environment like this? I think that you have to be anticipating where the world's going. I think many of us are feeling this longing for connection. We don't need all the things we thought we did. But I think the thing that um, we know we need are people we care about in basic human connection. 
But I also think the world is going to change forever. I can't quite predict how it's going to change, but I think that all of us are getting a glimpse of a different way to do business. And we're realizing that you can do a lot on video conferencing and Zoom. And so I think that business travel isn't going to, you know, it's not going to go away, but it's going to come back in a very different way. But I also would say what we used to be was we would go to work for business, travel for business, and often entertain ourselves at home on screens. And I think that may inverse. I think you may actually see more people doing business on screens, but if, if you're on a screen all day, the last thing you want to do is vacation on Zoom. You want to actually get out. And before this crisis, we brought 2 million people together a day. And I think that when this starts to reconnect once again, we're going to go back to our very basic mission of bringing people together. And to do that, the first thing we need to do is be really nimble. We need to be scrappy and we need to simplify. We need to simplify how we're run so we can move very, very quickly. And what we're going to focus on is anything that makes us different. I told the team, let's make a list of everything we're doing. And at the top of the list, we're going to double down to the things that make us most different. What makes us most different are our host, the incredible design that we like to focus on, and the basics. And so we want to go back to host and regular people. And I think the way travel is going to recover is first, I think people are going to take trips that are close to home, destinations of under 300 miles. Next, people are going to want things that are cheap and affordable. In a recession or depression, people want to save money. The next thing is the nature of housing is going to change. With all of this video conferencing, I think we're starting to realize we don't have to necessarily be tethered to one city. And so because of that, I think you're going to see a generation of people that are less tethered to any one city, and they're going to want to live around the world. And so what we're going to do is provide longer-term stays, monthly rentals. And then finally, providing experiences in your own city. Restaurants aren't all coming back online right away. Theaters aren't all coming back right away. But we have a community of hosts that can offer all sorts of experiences from concerts and living rooms to outdoor activities to experience the animals. You know, we announced yesterday that we launched online experiences. Another thing we put together in 14 days, we have five Olympians doing experiences. That's just kind of what we're going to be focused on right now. When the world recovers, that's what we're going to do. Having regular hosts offering short-term stays, long-term stays and experiences for people in their own city or people traveling. The only other thing I'd say is, we have a really resilient community because most of our hosts rent the homes they live in. In the hotel industry, when a hotel goes below 30% occupancy, they usually shut the hotel down. It's at some point not cost-effective to run the hotel. But if you have a listing on Airbnb, a home or experience, it doesn't cost you anything to keep it up. And in an economic depression, what people are going to need more than anything are going to be new ways to make money. You know, We saw that 16 million Americans have lost their job. We could be looking at multiple years of double-digit unemployment. And travel is a massive industry. One in four jobs in the world are in travel, hospitality, or entertainment. It's a large percent of the global GDP. And cities are hurting right now. You know, there are entire countries based on tourism. And they're hurting as well. And we want to be able to partner with those cities. And, you know, we're, right now we're partnering with them to provide frontline stays for people to provide housing for workers in the front lines. But during this economic recovery, which is going to be a painful and long one, we're available to work and partner with cities so that they can rebuild their, you know, their local economies. And if that means bringing in guests and visitors and, or even having locals do experiences in their own city, offering a new type of 21st century job, 
we're here to help them. And so we're, we're definitely open and we're going to be partnering with cities and countries all over the world. And maybe just the last thing I'll just say is this month, we're going to hit a milestone. As hard as it is for our hosts, I'm proud to say that our hosts have now earned $100 billion on our platform. $100 billion. And they did this by hosting 750 million guest arrivals. And these are people that came from nearly every country in the world. You know, we have 4 million hosts. And if that means providing opportunities for tens of millions more, that's what I want to do. You use this phrase, most different, sort of accelerates the momentum behind the kind of model you have versus the traditional hotel companies. Am I hearing that right? That like, Yeah, it's a very difficult time for travel and hospitality. Unfortunately, one of the challenges is you can't run a hotel at low occupancy, you know, and the big chains will be okay, but they're half the hotels in the world are independents. And so these are like small businesses. Think of a small hotel, like a restaurant, they're in a basically similar predicament. And so I think the nature of travel and hospitality is already going to be different. And, you know, there's a great use for all these different ways to travel. It's really important that we offer what only we can offer that makes us so different. And what makes us so different are our hosts. Every host is a person. Every person's different. And so, you know, what makes us most different are people. And that's what we're focused on. As you described the traditional hotel business, one of the things that would make the Marriott's of the world successful was you knew what you were expecting, right? Which is also some limitations. Going forward, what Marriott might be able to offer is, well, you know with confidence that this room has been cleaned to a certain standard or that everyone going to the hotel has had their temperature taken or something like that. How do you think about how you apply that kind of reality of this new world to the very sort of disperse and diverse host universe that you guys work with? It's a great question, Bob. And ultimately, uh, a traditional hospitality was rooted in this idea that the way to make things trusted would be to take people out of it because people are variable. And we want to make things more consistent by not taking people out of it, but by making the people more verified and more trusted. And so one of the things we said is we're going to verify every single home and experience on our platform. The first step is to educate hosts, give them the tools, give them the resources. Step two in reviews, ask guests if they met the cleanliness standard. And step three is then verify listings for a standard of cleanliness. So that would be the point. And what we've done already is we're updating a review system. We ask guests a number of questions, including where are you satisfied with the cleanliness of your Airbnb? And as of this March 31st, 94% of our reviews, guests said they were satisfied with the cleanliness. They left a four or five star review. And so I think that's a great foundation for us to continue to build upon. Great. So you're optimistic. You're also working like crazy. Totally crazy. You, you must have some moments where the mood gets tough or the stress gets hard. Um, what do you try to do to keep yourself motivated, release the stress, keep the mood up? Do you have any advice for other leaders who are facing the same kinds of you know, challenges that you find yourself having to grapple with now on an unending level? Yeah. I've never been in my home for five weeks in a row, not really able to get out or do anything. And so 
I've taken up some new things I don't usually do. I've lived here for a dozen years and um, I never rode my bike around the city before. I mean, first of all, there were a lot of cars and a lot of hills in San Francisco. There's no cars anymore. And so I got a bike and I'm certainly biking around. I live near a park and so I try to make sure that I take walks every single day. But probably the most important thing I do are connect with people. It's odd. In one sense, I'm certainly more physically disconnected and in some ways more socially disconnected than I have ever been in my life. And I have periods of time throughout the day where I feel the sense of loneliness. And, you know, occasionally you get this just sense of panic, you know, your heart beating. And I think if, if anyone feels that way, I certainly would say, well, they're certainly not alone because I feel that. But then I also feel in other ways more connected than ever before. Because what I yearn for, what I want to do is not watch a show or do something like that or even read. What I yearn for more is any kind of human connection. And so I do, uh, I do Zoom with my friends from college. I make sure I, I'm calling people. And you notice in your life, there are certain people that give you energy. And there are certain people that when you talk to them, they take away your energy. And you got to be really, really judicious about surrounding yourself with people that give you an energy. And I think it's really important to remember that no matter how lonely it feels right now, in a larger sense, we're not alone. Because I guess never in human history have all 7 billion people been united in a common predicament, a common cause. You know, crisis has a way of bringing people together, even if it's not physical. And I've never felt closer in the some kinds of ways to many of the people in my life. As an example, um, you know, I started Airbnb with my two co-founders 12 years ago, Joe and Nate, and we're still together 12 years later. Not a lot of companies that go through what we went through, all the success, all the ups and downs are still together. But this thing, it's, it's kind of made us even closer. And I, I feel closer to my team. And I, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm easier on people because I'm more grateful of things. When you lose things, you start to appreciate what you still have. And that's what I have. And so suddenly I feel lucky. Two months ago, I thought I had everything. I have a better perspective now than I did back then. And I, I appreciate what we have. And I now realize that, you know, when you feel like this, you get this clarity. And my, my mission and what I'm meant to do has never been clearer than, than right now. I mean, I think your purpose gets really clear, right? There's a, there's a stillness around the world. It's quiet in some ways. And then suddenly you see what you're meant to be doing. What I'm meant to be doing is, you know, not to, I'm not meant to do real estate. I'm not even meant in a larger sense to just do travel. You know, when we started Airbnb, it was, it was about connecting with people. That was the roots of Airbnb. And that's what we're meant to do. And if it took a crisis for us to kind of get back to basics, back to our roots, then a new, better Airbnb will be, will emerge and we'll be back you know, and this mission is going to live on. Travels live through world wars. It's lived through economic depressions. And the one thing you see over the course of generation after generation is every year more people travel. In 1950, 25 million people crossed a border. And last year, 1.4 billion people did. And it's because there's this innate human desire to travel, to explore. 
And our desire to explore, our desire to connect with one another, that is never going to go away. It may be on pause right now, but the one thing I know for sure is this is going to be more popular when it returns. And Airbnb, I'm going to make sure that we are stronger when the world goes back to a new normal. Well, Brian, I, I want to thank you again for taking the time to talk with us and talk with our listeners and share your thoughts. Oh, um, thank you. Good luck with everything. I'm Bob Safian. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. It's Jeff Berman, CEO of Wait What and co-host of the Masters of Scale podcast. Like many of you, my to-do list changes by the minute. Whether I'm working with partners or hashing out legal documents or brainstorming with our team, there is never a shortage of tasks that require attention and constant communication. Like Masters of Scale co-host Reid Hoffman, I know artificial intelligence is a huge part of our future. And Grammarly is an enterprising leader in AI. With Grammarly, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks. It's like having a collaborator for my writing, helping me generate better first drafts and tailoring messages to our specific audiences. It's not only a superior AI tool, it is a safe AI tool. And as a CEO, security is always top of mind. Grammarly has 14 years of experience and a business model that never sells our data. Security has been a priority since day one and continues to be integral to Grammarly's values today. Join me and over 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly to work faster, hit their goals, and keep their data secure. Visit Grammarly.com to learn more. That's Grammarly.com. Masters of Scale Rapid Response is a Wait What original. The show is recorded remotely using sanitized audio gear. It's hosted by me, Bob Safian, Masters of Scale's editor-at-large, and Masters of Scale host, Reed Hoffman. Our executive producers are June Cohen and Darren Triff. Our supervising producer is Jay Punjabi. Our producer is Jordan McLeod. Scripts by Christina Gonzalez. Original music and sound design by Ryan Holiday and Daniel Nissenbaum. Audio editing by Keith J. Nelson and Lena Sillison. Mixing and mastering by Brian Pugh. Special thanks to Emily McManus, Sarah Sandman, Adam Heiner, Kelsey Capitano, Tim Cronin, Charlie Manessis, and Saida Sapieva. Visit mastersofscale.com slash rapid response to find the transcript for this episode and be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter. Mm-hmm.